Well, good morning. morning. It's great seeing you guys here and also online. So what's tonight? Yeah, Sunday night. That's a great statement. Academy Awards and the Oscars, the, one of the films up for the Oscar for Best Animated Feature Film is Toy Story 4, or is Toy Story 43, or I'm not sure which one. How many of you have seen a, 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 the Toy Story, all four Toy Stories? Wow. How many of you have seen at least one? Okay, so you, everybody knows. Who's this? Buzz. Who's this? Woody. There's a theme that goes through all four Toy Stories. That theme is illustrated in what these two have in common. And what is it? Right now, up before you, what is it that they they have in common? There's something about their outfits that's the same. Fear is not in my vocabulary. There you go. They're both Andes, and they both know it. And that whole aspect of belonging that is a powerful, powerful longing in every human being is part of why Toy Story has been so popular, is that these guys, in the very first episode, Buzz comes to grips with the fact that he's part of them because he belongs to the same one. And that whole notion of belonging, whose are you? Who do you belong to? Who do I belong to? You know, if you're new here to North, and we're really glad that you've, you've, you've taken that step and put the tiptoe in the water, and this is what we're about. We're about engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. That's a, that's a vision we believe God's entrusted to us for this season. Being fully alive is not, it's not referring to heart beating, lung breathing only. That's a gift from God. But it's the life of God, the life of the Spirit, this life that only Jesus can give where he restores us to the original purpose that, that we're made for. And at the essence of that being fully alive on a daily basis is a relationship. John 17, 3, Jesus defines what it looks like. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you and the one, and Jesus Christ, the one whom you sent. What's eternal life? It's not just heaven. It's knowing him. That's at the essence. So John writes his gospel with that in mind, finishing it with this proclamation. He says, these things have been written, John chapter 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's not just believing in him as Messiah and stopping. It's not just describing to some orthodox belief, even though that's absolutely critical, but it's letting that orthodoxy fuel a vibrancy, life in his name. And the essence of life in his name is understanding that intimacy that we can have with him, that knowing God and that belonging. So, we're taking this journey through John's gospel. We're calling it Awaken because that's what the gospel does. It awakens us to, as human beings to, to who we can be. Mars said it earlier, we're born spiritual orphans, dead in our sins. And the beauty of the gospel is all of a sudden this adoption that takes place. It's a powerful reality. You're loved. You're loved. It's not just Andy, 
on the bottom of your shoe. It's not, but, but how about Jesus? But understanding, he's who I belong to. So if you've got your Bible, I turn to John chapter 8. And if you don't own a Bible, by the way, pick one up at the, at the welcome desk afterwards as our gift to you, or you can follow along. The passage we're going to read this morning, I'm going to go through all of it, but we're going to do it step by step in, in, in bite-sized chunks. But here's one of the verses that kind of gets to the theme. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. So this whole notion of father, nine times in this passage this morning, from verse 32 to 47, has the word father in it. If you could put, entitle this passage, it would be, who's your father? Or, you know, not who's your daddy, (laughs) but who's your father? The fundamental question for every human being. And it's that theme that comes out. It's a tapping that longing that Toy Story is built on, but it's how we do our relationship, wanting to belong. Whose are we? And this whole notion of being able to be adopted, become children of God. John started his gospel with it. John chapter one, verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, but born of God. It's this whole notion of ancestry. Whose are you? This invitation to become fully alive is an invitation to get your ancestry straightened out and figure out who your dad is, who your father is. And I I don't know, some of you are real big into ancestry, like ancestry.com or something. I'm not, I, I don't have, my mom and dad, I only have one cousin. Mom and dad only had one sibling each, both of whom who died early uh, in, their, in their journeys. And so I only have, I, so I've got a cousin. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know a third cousin once removed if they come up and, came up and hit me in the face. I, I just don't understand the ins and outs of it. And then you come to a guy like Bill Baker in London, 76 years old, Bill, married Edna Wood. And she happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. Did you hear that? So actually her name's Edna Harvey, correction, but she she was his granddaughter's husband's mother. So obviously this was a second marriage for both of them. And that's where the confusion started. So his granddaughter, Lynn, tried to explain it to a reporter. She said, yeah, it's been complicated, but I finally have figured it out. And she said this, my mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my step-father-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law and my brother is my nephew. But even crazier is that I'm now married to my uncle and my own children are my cousins. (laughs) What? Thankfully, following Jesus, you don't have to get that detail. It ain't that complicated. God doesn't even have any grandkids. A lot of people don't understand that. They think, okay, my parents are pretty serious, God, so I guess I'm okay. God has no grandchildren. The, all you got to understand is God is father, and there's sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. That's it. And so the night before Jesus gave his life in the upstairs room, he tapped onto this whole notion that we need not be orphans any longer. In John 14, verse 18, he told him this. He's just promised the Holy Spirit. And he says, I won't leave you as orphans. 
I'm going and I'm going to send my spirit, which is behind what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 15, when he says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And I want you to get this next phrase, and by him, by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is what little children say. It's very similar to in English, Dada. It's a term of intimacy. It's a term of belonging. To relate with God as Father. Now, before we head any further, I got to point out an obvious caveat and uh, a caution because we all have an earthly father and the spectrum goes from wonderful on this end of the spectrum to horrible on this end. And the temptation is to take whatever our earthly father is and then extrapolate and impose that on God as our heavenly father. Don't do that. Portions, of course. I had a great dad. His best man in my wedding mentored me. Was absolutely ripped apart when he died of a massive coronary without any warning. At the same time, my, my dad was not perfect and there are some things I take and can help me in my relationship with my heavenly father. There are other things that I need to kind of look aside. And the more you move over on this spectrum, the less you need to take from your earthly father. So, let's take a little bit of a journey. What does it look like for me to belong, for me to relate with him as father? To live my life so that it is evidence that he's my Abba. Let me give you four responses of somebody that is experiencing fully alive by relating with God as Father. What's it look like? First of all, it'll look like us trusting Him on a daily basis because of His grace. His kids trust Him because of His grace. Now, it's a little bit of a complicated statement, but hopefully it's going to become clear here. First, go to verse 39. Let's read it one more time. We just did. Abraham is our father, they answered. And if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. Now look at that word, they. Abraham is a father, they answered. Who's they? In this entire exchange, we've been journeying through these last few weeks, the they are the Pharisees, the professional religious leaders. They were the people for whom Jesus reserved his greatest ire, greatest sometimes even anger because they were masquerading. They they weren't authentic children of the Father. They might have called God Father, but they did so in a religious sense. Their whole makeup had been shaped over the last couple of hundred years. There were two exiles to the Babylonians and the Assyrians. Uh, Things got fragmented with the Jewish people, and then they're, they're now back in Israel. And they're reshaping Judaism to the point that a lot of extraneous laws are being added on. I mean, one example would be the Sabbath. It used to be a beautiful thing, now became a tedious thing. And the religious leaders were bringing all of these behavioral codifications and expectations and imposing them on the people. 
And the background was, they were saying, you've got to behave in this way, listen very carefully, in order for God to love you. Those of you who had a, an earthly father on this end of the spectrum, the non-wonderful end, you know what unconditional, or you know what conditional love is all about. Do this, 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 and maybe I'll be nice to you. Maybe I won't hit you. And these religious leaders talked about, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then God will love you. And they took great pride because they were among those who God was loved because God was impressed with their behavior. Brennan Manning, in his book, Abba's Child, he writes about the Pharisees. Pharisees still exist today. We actually all have some Pharisee in us that we've got to be mindful of continually. And by the way, no Pharisee ever admits that they're a Pharisee, all right? But he says this, Pharisees follow the law impeccably, even if it involves, by the way, lowering the bar so that I can feel good about it or I, I am incorrect in my self-evaluation, in order to induce God's love, to get God to love me, and that way we can take credit for His love. Pharisees invest heavily in extrinsic religious gestures, rituals, methods, and techniques, breeding allegedly, allegedly holy people who are judgmental, mechanical, lifeless, and as intolerant of others as, as they are of themselves. Have you ever met any church people like that? Violent people, the very opposite of holiness and love. The type of spiritual people who, conscious of their spirituality, then proceed to crucify the Messiah. Jesus did not die at the hands of muggers, rapists, or thugs. He fell into the well-scrubbed hands of deeply religious people, society's most respected members. I go back to verse 39. He says, if Abraham was your father, you would do what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Great commentary for Scripture is other scripture. So if you come to a passage sometime in your, in your quiet time in your Bible study, and I'm not sure what that means, the first place you go is to the rest of scripture to get insight. So what did Abraham do that, that distinguished him from these religious leaders? Romans chapter four, there's no better description of it than here. Paul writes this, Romans chapter four, verse one. Then what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Now notice that phrase, justified by works. At the, at the, at the core of biblical Christianity is the doctrine of justification by faith not by works. We're justified, we're made right with God by the faith we put in God, not justified, made right with God by our own works. We're not getting God to love us, He already loves us, and we receive that. That's what, what Paul is referring to, that, that, what he's referring to there. And by the way, a lot of people think justification by faith if you're a Bible student, uh, is a New Testament thing, and in the Old Testament, people are justified by law. No, we've never, you can never be justified by law. You can never be that good with a sinful nature. Keep going, verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Oh, you talk about good stuff. Credited to him. Here's the deal. You and I 
we are unrighteous. And Abraham trusted God and God credited something to his account. Keep going. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. A lot of religious people get very bitter at God when bad things happen because they're saying, you know what, I've done all the good stuff. And this still happens to me? You're obligated, God. No. He comes to us in grace. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So, you and I are all, we're all unrighteous. I mean, we're capable of love and laughter and great deeds, but, but we're fallen. And our sin and our unrighteousness separates us from God. God can't relate with us. It's not because he's, he, he's prejudiced. He's holy and we would be consumed, but he still loves us. He created us for relationships. So that dilemma was, was satisfied and solved on the cross. Jesus, the infinite God made perfect, didn't die for his own sin, but died for ours. And if anybody would ask for Jesus' work on the cross to be credited to their spiritual account, God says, I forgive you. So I take away that guilt of your sin, but I also give you something, and it's my son's righteousness. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've received Jesus, you know how righteous you are? As righteous as Jesus is. Positionally, God sees you with the righteousness of Christ. And you. And you. You talk about, that's good news. People say it sounds too good to be true. Well, it's called the gospel. Behavior makes, has no consequence on me receiving the righteousness of Jesus. Behavior makes a big difference after that fact. I then begin to live according to the righteousness that I have. But my obedience is to experience the righteousness, to celebrate, to relish in it, to be blessed and be a blessing to others, but it's not to become more righteous. The moment I trust Christ, I'm made righteous, I'm clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, and I will never get, be more righteous positionally until the, I, I see him, until the day of my entire life. That positional righteousness is going to change. What will change is the degree to which I learn to please Him and walk righteously, walk in response to what I've already been given. Uh, Romans chapter 4 verse 23 says, the words, it was credited to Him, were written not for Him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in Him, we raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now, the, the key verse, if you've ever been a student of Romans, you know the key verse in Romans is Romans 1, 16 and 17, the first chapter in its introduction. Verse 17 of Romans 1, for in the gospel, a righteousness, and then I want everybody to say these next two words. Say them. From God. Say it again. From God. Not to God. Religiosity focuses on a righteousness to God to get God to love us. No, it's a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that's by faith from first to last. The righteous, they're gonna live by faith. Now Martin Luther, the great reformer, the Reformation, he was a religious leader. He was teaching in a seminary, was not a follower of Jesus. Could, would, but he was, he was, burden would be an understatement. He wanted to be good enough to get God to love him and he could never do it. So there was at least wisdom there. But he was tormented and he was teaching through Romans with seminary students. He was the professor. And he comes to that verse and he comes to that phrase, righteousness from God. 
and it, it finally hit him. We're given righteousness. We can never achieve enough righteousness to be with God, but we're given it to, in grace. God's grace is God giving us what we, we, we don't d- deserve, but we need. And if I'm walking with God as Father, every day will be a day of trusting Him because of His grace, trusting that positionally I am, I've been made righteous, I'm accepted, I'm embraced. Craig Barnes, uh, when he was a little kid, his dad was, was a pastor, and his mom and dad adopted uh, a 12-year-old boy named Roger, whose parents had both died from overdoses. They were heroin addicts. He had no brothers, sisters, no, they, they had no brothers, sisters, no grandparents. He had nowhere to go, and so they adopted him. And Craig said it was a pretty interesting thing for a 12-year-old boy who had been raised by heroin addicts to become, come into our home. He was a terror at first. And he said, mom and dad, the phrases they would use over and over, Roger, we don't behave that way in this family. We we don't throw things when we're upset. Roger, that's not how we behave. If if you want something, you don't steal it. All these statements, that's not how you behave. And he says, over time, Roger's behavior changed. But it, it changed not to gain entrance into the family. They weren't saying, hey, You better be good, and if you're good enough, we'll adopt you. They adopted him and loved him unconditionally in grace, and out of that acceptance, Roger behaved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The religiosity crowd, the Pharisees, the tendency is to boast. Now, maybe not outwardly, they're refined enough to just do it in subtle ways, but to have a pride about, you know what, I'm, I'm checking all the boxes and therefore God's impressed with me. Such a low view of God. He can't be appeased by our pitly human religious efforts. For we are God's handiwork, so it's by grace, but here we go, for we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here we go. By grace I've made righteous, but works play a role. If you're looking at a continuum in time, past, present, future, okay, I'm forgiven, and now I'm, I, I receive that righteousness. Now as I move forward, I do good works. Good works did not get me to this point of salvation, but the good works will be a result, be a response, like Roger living in a home where he was already adopted. You have already been adopted. You cannot be more loved than you are right now. Stop behaving as orphans is what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying. Stop living life an orphan, cowering with guilt and shame over sin that we're already forgiven for and simply let that guilt bring us back to a posture of pliability. And that pliability is the second expression of what it looks like. When I'm living with God as my Father, fully alive with God as my Father, what will it look like? It'll look like trusting on a daily basis because of His grace, and secondly, it'll look like submitting because of His authority. I'll be submitting, I'll be pliable. He's loving me. And I won't do this. God, I know what will fulfill me. I don't wanna hear from you. No, 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 it's... I want to submit. Back in 1995, the, the greatest 
tragedy of domestic terrorism happened in this country in Oklahoma City with the Oklahoma City bombing, bombing the federal courthouse there. 168 people died. Over 680 people were injured. Timothy McVeigh was the primary culprit. He did have a couple of accomplices and co-conspirators. I've got a friend who's in chaplain ministry and he's had a number of interactions with one of McVeigh's co-conspirators about the gospel. But Timothy McVeigh, he was executed in 2001 and on his way to his execution, he handed a poem to one of the officials. The poem was by a guy named William Hensley who in 1875 wrote Invictus. It's the name of the poem, it's Latin for unconquered. It's a poem of defiance. It finishes with this phrase, I am the master of my fate and I am the captain of my soul. Now that sounds kind of good. Hey, I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain. But it's not correct. It bolsters our pride, but it does so in the context of illusion. You're not the master of your fate, nor am I. You and I don't even have control over the next uh, heartbeat. I don't care how much kale you eat, and granola, and how much you run, and stay. of course we're to stay healthy, but bottom line, my heart might stop beating before I walk off this platform. I have no control. I am not the master of my own faith. I'm not the captain of my destiny. My son went to the Air Force Academy and this poem was big with a lot of the cadets. And there's something good about the, the determination and the drive, yes, but don't let that harden your heart. It's coming before him and submitting to his authority as a child, not to gain his love. And parents, remember this continuum? Don't teach your kids unconditional, don't teach your kids conditional love. That carries over into our walk with God. Love them unconditionally. Love them into obedience, into submission. Go back to the text. Let's keep going through it. Verse 37 of John 8. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you've heard from your father. Notice the emphasis on doing and, uh, and works. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You were doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children. They were protested. The only father we have is, is God himself. Here these murderous, prejudiced, prideful religious leaders we're behaving like spiritual orphans, and that's the best way to describe them. In just a minute, you're gonna see him describing them even more honestly by referring to the fact they're actually maybe not orphans. They are children, but they're children of the devil himself. Religious people. Because they weren't submitting. They were saying, we're in charge here. It's kind of like that, uh, remember that other Tom Hanks movie, he's been in so many, I can't remember the name of it, but the hijacked ship, but the guy uh, hijacked says, I'm the captain now. 
just asserting, I'm the master of my fate. Kids don't do that. They're pliable because they trust their Abba. They say, you know best, you know best. I'll operate, verse 31 of John 8, Jesus, this is earlier, Pastor Sean looked at this last week, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. You want to say you're a disciple, it's not, you're holding to my teaching, submitting to my teaching. Verse 43, uh, a little bit later in this text, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. The word hear there is actually with an intent to obey. You're not intending to obey. You're not submissive. A lot of have, have left the church, a lot of the younger generation have left the church. We've talked some about that. In the context of John 20, 31, the orthodoxy, vibrancy, we just read about orthodoxy, uh, believing in Jesus Messiah, but vibrancy and by believing, having life in his name. And they've rejected the orthodoxy because they haven't seen our, our vibrancy. And that's part of the excitement of, of what God's shaping in us here. But many have gone elsewhere. And a book that came out a few years ago called Generation X Christian by Drew Dyke, he's interviewing a lot of these young people that have left. He interviews one guy, he he left the church and became Wiccan, moved into witchcraft. He had renamed himself Morning Hawk Apollo. And this is what he said about his rejection of Christianity. You talk about honesty. Quote, ultimately, why I left is that the Christian God demands that you submit to his will. In Wicca, it's just the other way around. You will is paramount. We believe in gods and goddesses, but the deities we choose to serve are based on our wills. When I'm walking with an understanding that I'm his, It's not defiance, it's submission. Matthew chapter six, verse 10. Don't pray it as a religious thing. Say, Abba, Father. Remember he says, pray this way, our Father, you're in heaven, he says, your kingdom come. In other words, your rule be done on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. C.S. Lewis says there are two kinds of people. There's this group of people that says, this, who say to God, thy will be done. And then there are those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. So how do I find out what I'm submitting to? Third, if I'm walking with a real sense of him as my father, knowing whose father I am, each day will find me trusting because of his grace, submitting because of his authority, and thirdly, listening because of his truth. Listening because of his truth. How well do you listen? How do well do I listen to God? Franklin Roosevelt was a uh, one of the great presidents early last century. He hated receptions at the White House because he was just all the small talk and the receiving lines especially, and all these people are coming through, uh, how do you do, how do you do? And, and no, he, he says, I, nobody's, they, they're just in all the White House, they're not listening to me, so he tried an experiment. 
And one reception had some number of foreign diplomats and some folks from Washington as well. People started coming by and he said to each one with a smile, how do you do? I murdered my grandmother this morning. How do you do? I murdered my grand. People respond, oh, that's lovely, Mr. President. Uh, thank you for all that you're doing. Nobody was listening to him. Then one foreign diplomat came by and he said the same thing. How do you do? I murdered my grandmother this morning. The diplomat stopped, paused, winked at him and said, that's okay, Mr. President. I'm sure she had it coming to her. <laughs> How well do you listen? There's a phrase you'll see in some Christian circles. I got to do my devotions. <sighs> Dangerous. Call it something else. It's not just a religious activity. It's a time of listening to my father. This is his love letter. I know I'm, I'm, I'm loved and he can lead me. Go back to the text. John 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God and I've not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. How well am I listening? A child with his or her father, they want to listen. You know, in those teenage years, start kind of wanting to, to flex that, that's, that independence and they don't listen as well. And I didn't either when I was a teenager. There were plenty of times, then I got a little older, I realized the wisdom of my parents started listening again. We all have those teenage moments in our walk with God and we need to come back to that of a little child or that of a young adult who knows the wisdom of our Father. Because walking with Him on a daily basis as Father, what we're enabled to do is submit is trust and also listen because he's truth. Today, if I'm relating with him as my father, I'll be relating to him with an environment of listening because of his truth. Matthew chapter four, verse four, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 47, they, these words of the law are not just idle words for you, they are your life. So each day needing to find me listening. So let's go over these, these three and then let's add the fourth. If I'm walking with him as my father, each day will find me trusting because of his grace will find me submitting because of his authority, will find me listening because of his truth, and will find me belonging because of his love. He loves you.
And when I'm relating with him as my father, I realize I belong. I'm his. It's Black History Month. Pastor Sean mentioned it last week. And there's a woman who's part of black history this year that was not last year. And the reason is she died in August. Her name's Toni Morrison. Brilliant writer. The first uh, black woman to win a Nobel Prize for literature. She writes about abandonment and belonging were her big themes. And she talks about in some lectures at Harvard University about loneliness that there's rocking Loneliness that rocks, meaning we get into a fetal position and we rock back and forth, we're paralyzed to do life. And then there's also loneliness that roams. We're lonely deeply and we roam to try to find love in all the wrong places, so to speak. Hear what Jesus says. John chapter eight, verse 47. Whoever belongs to God, hears what he says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong. The beauty of walking with Jesus is I know I belong. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Romans 1.6, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. You know what this is about? This is not some religious gathering. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God, not based on your obedience, your religiosity, based on the blood of Jesus, the grace of God. And we gathered to celebrate that, to declare the praises of him. We're here because of that statement Jesus made in John 14, verse 18. He said it. It was true in that upstairs room. It's true now. I will not leave you as orphans. Now let's put it in past tense. And I'd like it to you to say your name right now out loud. Say it. I have not left you as an orphan. Hear his word. And on a daily basis with all the junk we're navigating, to do so with him as our Abba will involve trusting him and submitting to him and listening to him and celebrating that we belong. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out. And we're going to make a proclamation before we leave here. Before we do that, I want you to hear your Abba speak to you. This is called a Father's Love Letter. You can find it on the web. We'll put a link on our website. It's going to take me about three minutes to read this to you, to speak these words to you. Will you listen? These are all direct statements from Scripture. Every one of these has a Bible verse reference number. If you want, if you want this copy, find me in the foyer afterwards, but you'll also be able to find it uh, online on our website. For example, you may, know, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. The reference there is Psalm 139 verse 1. I'm going to read through these statements, but I'm not going to read the verses. I just want you to hear. And here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Open your palms, maybe even close your eyes. And for three minutes, hear the king of the universe love on you and speak to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. 
In me you live and move and have your being, for you're my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in my mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I've been misrepresented by those who don't know me, but I'm not distant and angry, but I'm the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you. Simply because you're my child and I'm your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I'm the perfect father. And every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I'm your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you for you're my treasured possession and I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul and I want you to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Delight in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart for it is I who gave you those desires. I'm able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine for I'm your greatest encourager. I'm also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. And when you're brokenhearted, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I've carried you close to my heart. And one day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you've suffered on this earth. I am your Father and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He's the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. And to tell you that I'm not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. And if you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you celebrate that you're my child? I'm waiting for you. Love, your dad, almighty God. Now look here. In the name of Jesus, hear me. You need not be an orphan. And if you are a follower of Jesus, relish. You're his. I'm just living with that. I don't know how long it'll last. But this whole notion of being Jesus's is something that is a privilege that we all have. Let's stand together. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you that we, we're yours. And right now, as we make a proclamation that we're 
We're child of yours, may it come not from a religious exercise of singing, but from the, the hearts of your kids. May we celebrate that we belong and that we're loved and that we're your kids. Thank you. In the name of the one who loved us first, amen and amen.